Welcome to the Vivid Church Podcast. Wherever you're listening from today, it's our hope that this message would help you reflect the light of Jesus' life for all to see. Now, here's Pastor Justin Reimer. Hey, I'm excited. Uh, I'm excited to be with you here today and uh, to share a couple thoughts from Scripture. Just got back from New Westminster this morning. We had a great time with our New West location. I had a couple of my kids with me on the train, which is always, always fun. It's, it's interesting. They're like, do you think we'll see Daryl today? Because last time they came with me on the train, we met a guy named Daryl. And so they just assume, they're like, I'm, I wonder if we'll see Daryl again here today. Last time I was at this station, Daryl was here. We didn't see Daryl. Not today. Not today. But hey, here we are. And uh, we're in the house of God. And uh, I believe God's here to speak to us. He's going to use his word to do that. And uh, I just have the, the honor, the privilege of getting to open it up today and, and read from it. If you have your Bible with you, I would love for you to turn to the book of Psalm chapter 51. Psalm chapter 51. And uh, I'm going to read this. In fact, I'm going to just be real audacious today. We're going to read a whole chapter of Scripture. Maybe maybe for you, you've never done that before. We're about to read a whole chapter of Scripture. It could be, uh, it could be game-changing for you. And this uh, particular passage of Scripture... It's uh, in the book of Psalms, it in some ways pretty, uh, pretty well quoted or pretty famous, I would say. It's one of the more quoted Psalms, or at least pieces of it are. And today I want to kind of set it in some context and uh, believe God's going to use it to help us. Sound good to everybody? Here it goes. Ready? Get ready. This is a long, a long piece right here. About halfway through, uh, you're going to start tuning out, kind of like, uh, for some of you, when you listen to jazz music after like the the third breakdown, you're like, I'm done. Okay, but stick stick with it. Push through. You're gonna you're gonna get there. You're gonna appreciate it. Here we go. It says this: Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions. I know my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sin and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit in me. Don't cast me away from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Okay, this is where some of you just dropped out. Okay, like we've been reading a lot. That was one whole column's worth. Okay, we're almost, we're almost there. Here we go. Verse 13. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that the sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. You who are God, my savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice or I'd bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My Sacrifice, O Lord, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous, in burnt offerings offered whole. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Dear Jesus, I pray in these next few moments as we use this scripture as a background, as context, that you would speak to our 
personal and corporate situation that we'd find ourselves moved a little closer to you today, drawn a little nearer to you as uh, we submit to the teaching of your word. We pray this in your name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. You can take a seat this morning. If you're taking notes, uh, we are in a, a psalm series every summer uh, Sunday. We are preaching out of something we already read this week. So for some of you, if you were following along with uh, our reading plan, you're like, hold on. This was Thursday. Read this before. This was Thursday or Friday. And uh, that's right. We want to give you context so that you know where we're coming from. For some of you, you haven't been following along in a reading plan. Guess what? We're only one month down. You got two to go. You're going to get a big piece of it. So jump on in. Today, if you're taking notes, the message is titled, Is It Too Late Now to Say Sorry? Is it too late now for my American friends to say sorry? Sorry, sorry. It's not too late to say either. The answer to the question really simply is no. It's not too late. Not too late to say Sorry, the only reason I titled that is simply so I could give you the answer real quick and right up front. It's not too late to say sorry. Like, it's certainly never too late to uh, to bring repentance to God. And if there's someone in your life and there's some distance, some friction, some tension, some hurt, some heartache, some brokenness, some flaw, hey, go back and say sorry. Yeah, but it was Wednesday. And on Wednesday, I pretended it was no big deal. And then Thursday, I just tried to act as though it never happened. And then Friday, I doubled down on it when, when I was asked what's wrong. I said nothing. Then I was asked what's wrong. I said nothing. And then I was asked what's wrong. You're like, just trust me. It's nothing. And now for me to go back, it's Sunday. Like it's been four days. Be a little, little bit awkward. Hey, it's not too late to say sorry. And you're like, yeah, but that happened last summer. And you know, I pretended like it was no big deal. We're just moving forward and moving on. It's not too late to go back and say sorry. By a show of hands, how many people find it more difficult to say sorry then I forgive you. How many people you find saying sorry more difficult than saying I forgive you? Put up your hand. It's harder for you to apologize than to say I forgive you. Awesome. Okay. How many people find it more difficult to say I forgive you than to say sorry? Put up your hand if that's you. You're like, I have a harder time extending forgiveness. It's kind of an interesting question, isn't it? Amazing. If you put up your hand, you look at someone who didn't, you're like, really? Wow. Because I have no problem. Now I'm kind of offended. <laughs> I'm bothered by the fact that that doesn't bother you. It's amazing how we, we function. But all of us, in all of our life, in every relationship that ever really matters, will have not only one, but probably a series of times where we need to make things right, where we need to enter into repentance. And so today I want to talk about repentance. I want to talk really in and around and about sin and you're like, oh no, I picked the wrong day to bring a friend to church talking about sin. But here's the thing, talking about repentance is actually, it's really freeing. It's really beautiful. It starts with the love of God and ends with his purpose for our life. Okay, so so bear with me. You might you might feel like we, we kind of go down in the middle, but it starts good, it ends good. Is that good with everybody? It's not too late to say sorry. In this passage of scripture, something that I, I've uh, come to, to conclude is that nobody really, truly likes to lose. You with me? Like some people say they're not competitive and it's usually just because they're not good at things. At least that's my conclusion. It's like, I'm not good at this. I'm not competitive anyway. Yeah, right. But I don't know anyone who actually prefers losing. I don't know anyone who's like, they're playing Yahtzee and they're like, oh, I hope this is something I already have and it's bad. 
Like, I don't know anyone who's in Monopoly like, wow, it would be amazing if I just went totally bankrupt. I don't know anybody relationally who prefers to lose an argument. I don't know anybody in, in, in like a corporate setting at work. You're like, no, it was really great. I got a demotion today. Feeling pretty good about it. Like nobody prefers to lose. And usually when we're confronted with our own flaws or we're confronted with our mistakes, you could say like when we recognize there's sin in our life, it's kind of like like we feel like we just took an L, like we just took a loss. Not many of us prefer that feeling. So much so that, that we respond in, in some interesting and unique ways, don't we? We tend at times when confronted with our flaws to sulk, to feel bad for ourselves, to throw a big pity party. Woe is me. Oh, I can't believe I'm just such a loser. Terrible. Right? We can tend to sulk. Sometimes we can tend to redefine success. We like when things go bad, we're like, that's okay. I wanted it to happen that way anyway. No, you didn't. Like, like we just kind of redefine success. We kind of hide around it, navigate around it, and, 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 and hope that we can maybe pretend it away. Some of us, when confronted with our, our sin, we turn into blamers. You know that person? <laughs> you're like, that one. Yeah, you're a blamer then too, right? Like, like we turn into blamers. We're like, yeah, I have faults, but you got to look at yourself. It's where the the age old, when you point at me, there's one finger pointing at you and three pointing back at yourself, that whole thing. We turn into blamers. For some of us, we, we double down on our sin and we define ourselves by it. We're like, yep, I'm in it now. I guess this is just who I am. I'm just going to walk. I'm just going to own it. I'm just going to be it. I'm just going to make it how I see myself and how the world sees me. And it's kind of like, what? It's who I am. But here we see in this poem, David is confronted with his flaw. He's confronted with his sin, and he does something really unique, really different. And in doing so, I believe this is kind of the groundwork or the foundation for, for how God would say of David, he's a man who gets my heart. He's a man who understands my heart. It wasn't because David, he, he was just crushing it all the time. It's because when David was wrong, he knew how to make it Right. So today, this poem is really a poem of repentance. It's a poem once confronted with sin. What do I do with it? Once I'm confronted with my flaws, how do I respond? See, let me give you the, the context. Let me give you the story. David, he, he writes this poem uh, after he's confronted w- with not just like not just something small, but a pretty significant sin, a pretty significant flaw in his life. You're like, hold up, Pastor. We, like, you're, not, you're not supposed to judge sin. It is true. It's kind of crazy. Like we can tend to look at the sin of others and judge them for sinning differently than we do, can't we? Like, man, I can't believe that person over there. They're so greedy. It's crazy. They're greed and they're entitlement. And like, meanwhile, you're gossiping. That's also sinful, right? It's crazy how we can do that. We judge people for sinning differently than we do. And we assume perhaps that their sin is like outranks ours. Or maybe we go the other way and we're like, man, no one else is that bad but me. I'm just the worst. But here, here's David. He's confronted with, with some pretty significant sin. Let me tell you about it. David was king. David had everything. In fact, David was so hooked up. There's times in scripture where he's like, you know what? I just want to bless God. Like, I just want to do something really big and good for God. Why don't we just give like 100,000 talents of gold, which is like, 7,500,000 7, pounds of gold. He's like, I just want to really show God I love him. You know, build a new, build a new like temple or something. Like David was rich. David was completely hooked up. David had 
armies of people fighting on his behalf. And and this one particular year, it says at the time of, of year when kings usually went to battle, David just chilled at home. Why? Because he was hooked up. He had he had things going in his life. Like it was awesome. And and, and so he was scrolling through the the Instagram of their time which was like standing on his balcony looking out at his kingdom. And, uh, and he came across somebody who posted something yeah, that, that they are glad that their parents don't follow them on, on Instagram. And he's like, dropped into her DMs. He said, hey, girl. It was his, listen, it was like one of his friend's wives. And it, the Bible says he saw her bathing on her rooftop. Like, I don't know if it was sunbathing or sponge bathing or whatever she was doing. She was doing something. And he liked it. And then he threw, threw a little DM. He's like, what you doing? And then she said, who does? She said, you know who it is, right? And then one thing led to another. Some emojis were sent, and she's over at his house. And, and like, he sleeps with one of his friend's wives. Like, like by any of our standards, right, by any of our you're like, yeah, the gossip is here, greed's kind of here, you know, being, being like, living in this, this, and that. By any of our standards, like, not cool, man. Like, at very least, you're breaking the bro code. You can't do that. And, and so he, he sleeps with his friend's wife a couple weeks later. He gets a DM. Hey, David, you up? He's like, ooh, yeah. She's like, no, 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 not that kind of you up. She goes, uh, I'm, I'm, like, I'm pregnant. And you know, like, Uriah, your friend, my husband, he was away. When we got together, timing's not going to work out. What do you want to do from here? David goes, don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. I got it. I got this. He calls Uriah in from battle, okay? Uriah is fighting on his behalf. He's fighting to see David's kingdom extended. He calls Uriah, and he's like, Uriah, you, you, like, we've always been tight, right? He's like, yeah, king, we're great. I love you, bro. Like, for real, man. I, I love you so much. Just wanted to, like, spend some time with you, and then thought maybe if you want, like, just go hang out with your wife. You know, I hear, I, I can't remember. What's her name again? I, I can't remember, but I, I, she probably misses you, man, and so... Uriah goes, no, King, that would be dishonorable. I, I've been fighting for you, and there, there's thousands of people right now who are in the thick of it. Who am I to come back and then just get the luxury of getting to like, stay in my own house, in my own bed, with my own family, eating my own food? No, no, no. I'm still in, in work mode. I'm, I'm like laser focused. I'm on mission. I'm on task. I'd never do that. David goes, oh, Okay, so then he gets him drunk. He's like, hey, get, get some drunk. He's like, now you got to just, bro, you, you hit a little hard today. You got to go home. Uriah, he's like, no, I'm not that guy. I'll sleep here on the floor instead. I'm not, I'm not going to dishonor my, my like, uh, fellow soldiers. I, I'm in this. So David now goes to double cover up. Okay, someone said double cover up. Double cover up. He's like, I thought I could bring Uriah in and just kind of, slowly back away didn't work and so instead he goes Uriah we're bros right Uriah's like yeah he's like I can trust you right yeah you can trust me okay I'm going to send a message to your boss can you deliver it totally you're not allowed to look at it though no problem you can trust me okay cool he writes a message today in battle kill Uriah seals it he's like dude thanks man make sure this gets to your boss like this is messed up this is some messed up cover-up Uriah, he comes back, he goes, hey, boss, I was just at the king. Cool, man, how was it? Oh, it was good. Do you see your wife? No, man, I'm laser focused. You know me, I'm in. We're bros, we're tight. Okay, he's like, he, he sent a message for you. Wow, the king wants a message for me. He opens it up. Kill Uriah today. He's like, are you sure this came from the king? Yeah. Did you read this? No, of course not. It came from the king. Okay, cool. They kill Uriah that day. 
This is like the worst kind of, and, and, and I look at it and you look at it and you're like, no way. This is so messed up. But the truth is, if we were to project on screen today, our biggest like moments of brokenness, the rest of us could look and psychoanalyze it and say, dude, you had a chance like way back there to fix that. How'd you let it go from there to there to there? And you got here. It's so messed up. But cover-ups are always kind of messed up, aren't they? You see, we, we can tend to sulk. We can tend to cover up. We can tend to be a blame shifter. We can do all these different things. David, when confronted with his sin, whether it's shame or fear or anger or entitlement or pride, whatever it was, he's like, I can get out from under this and I can come out the good guy. So Uriah dies and David's like, oh man, I feel so bad for Uriah's wife. What's her name again? Oh, it's Bathsheba. Yeah, yeah. You should just bring, like, bring her over. Maybe she needs some comfort. She walks in. He's like, I told you, solve the problem. And he marries the, like his, his buddy's wife who's now pregnant with his, he's messed up. And how can then God say of David, David, he got my heart. He understood my heart. Here's how. See, God in his kindness, reveals to this guy named Nathan that David has has done these things. Nathan's a prophet. Nathan says, King, I got a message for you. David's like, that's great. I love it when God's got messages for me. It's great. I'm the king. I got everything. Got all this stuff. Now I got this new like hot wife. She's having my baby. It's amazing how life's working out for me. And now God's got a message for me. Nathan comes in. He's like, yeah, here's God's message. Uh, you're you're, uh, you're an adulterer and a murderer. And God knows. And... He just wants you to deal with that. And in that context, David writes this poem of repentance. Doesn't sulk. Doesn't hide. He ends the cover-up. He, he stops in his pathway that's kind of just leading towards getting his own way. He stops dead in his tracks because of this. I want to show you four things that, that are true of God for, for you and I. You're like, hey, I'm not an adultering murderer. What do you call? I'm not calling you an adultering murderer. But, but we have flaws, don't we? Like We have faults. You're like, I don't know if I'm a sinner like in that sort of way. The Bible says this, no one's righteous. Nobody's hit the mark. Sin, it, it, whether it's intentional or unintentional, at some point in the, in the process of living, we've missed the mark. And it's sin that separates us from God. But God in his kindness comes through. Let me show you four things. Number one, because God is loving, he is kind. Because God is loving, he is kind. If we're ever going to talk about sin, we've got to start with the kindness of God. It would be crazy just to dive straight into sin. Maybe you've heard the statement, hellfire and brimstone, or like, like, like condemnation preaching. It's like, just got to go to church today and remember how terrible I am. Some churches function that way and live that way with that kind of like mandate. We've got to remind people how far they have fallen, how broken they are. But if you're ever going to talk about sin, you've got to start with the kindness of God. You've got to start with what mark you're trying to hit. And here David begins, his first statement is not like, oh, what have I done? He's like, God, have mercy on me according to your love. He doesn't approach God and say, hey, God, remember that time I gave you all those talents of gold? So look, I kind of screwed up. But remember all the good stuff I've done. He just goes straight at the loving kindness of God. One translation puts it that way. God, have mercy on me according to your loving kindness. Here's the thing. God's love towards us is not theoretical. His love towards us is not passive. His love towards us isn't like sitting on a shelf some way, like ornamentally, you know, just, just so you know, I love you. His love towards us is active and it's relentless and it's pursuing and it, it, it's moving and it's kind. If you read the Bible, 
and you hear God's tone of voice as being harsh, that's not God talking. If you open up the Bible and you feel like this big old gnarled bony hand looks out and points at you, that's not God's hand, okay? And also, you might want to get that checked. (laughs) But that's not what God sounds like. God's tone of voice towards humanity is loving and kind. It's his loving kindness. Because he is loving, he's kind. That's the way he reveals himself. Think of the kindness of this. God could have simply said, David, you went too far and just done this. Cleared the deck. <laughs> they, they show up like, where's David? Who's that? Like you just caused him to be disappeared from the human consciousness. But God in his kindness goes to Nathan, someone who was trustworthy and would approach David in, in, in a way that would lead towards redemption. God's really kind. In fact, Paul says this in his letter to the Corinthians. He said, there's no temptation that you've faced that isn't common to everybody. Like everybody faces temptation. So when you live and you go, oh man, like I sinned, but it's not my fault. I was tempted. Yeah, everyone is tempted. He's like, and God's faithful. He'll never let you be tempted beyond what you can handle. And when you are tempted, he'll give you a way to stand up under it. Like that's the kindness of God. That, that when you are tempted, sometimes you're like, well, what am I supposed to do? I'm so tempted. Here's God. So like, you got this. You got this. Like, like when you can learn to see that through a different angle, you're like, when I am tempted, even severely, I'm like, whoa, God really sees this in me? God's saying, you got this? I don't feel like I got this, but God, God says I'll never be tempted beyond what I can bear. I got this. And even when I don't believe him, he still comes in kindness and gives me a way out to stand up under it. Man, he's good. Because God is loving. He's kind. So David, instead of starting with his own works and agenda, he's like, God, you're loving kindness. Have mercy on me. Number two, because God is kind, we can repent. His kindness leads us to repentance. It's not his severity. It's not his condemnation. It's not the judgment of God that leads us to repentance. It's not the the rules and rituals of God that lead us towards his repentance. It's not the heavy-handed authority of God. It's the kindness of God. The kindness of God that, that beckons us near. Imagine God could simply have resisted David, made everything go bad for David. Sometimes we think God's doing that. Like, wow, God, you, you've really made my life terrible. But it's the kindness of God that leads us towards repentance. You know, when we sin, and I will put myself on the top of the list if we were to say in this room who has sinned, put me at the top. When we sin, I think there's two voices that, that come at us. There's two forces that come at us. One's called conviction. One's called condemnation. Okay, they, 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 they talk around the same topic, but they, they have a different motivation. Okay, Conviction is hope-filled. Conviction is there's better for you. Conviction is saying this is not how I see you because even when you're at your worst, God sees the best in you. Conviction is, is uh, solution-oriented. Conviction is also specific. Conviction is like, hey, Justin, when you said that thing, this was the motive behind what you said. That motive is not pleasing to me. you got to change that motive. If you change that motive, there'll be more room for you to grow and develop into the person I called you to be because conviction's forward moving. Conviction's hope-filled, okay? Condemnation talks around the same thing, but in a different way. Condemnation is very general. You are the worst. Condemnation is not specific. It's just... You did bad, you are bad, you're the word. Condemnation is hopeless. Not only did I do bad, I will always do bad. And because I always do bad, I will be in a bad place. Like it's just, 
heaping on weight. Condemnation is backwards facing, not forwards. It's like, let's go back again now and replay that one more time and look at that in slow motion from every angle. Wow, you're terrible. And condemnation, it actually leads us towards a separation from God. Well, conviction draws us near. Conviction draws us close. Conviction is the kindness of God coming and saying, hey, that one thing, like, I love you. This one thing needs to go. If we were going to be tight, this one thing needs to change. Condemnation is like, I can't love a person like you, you terrible, filthy, slimy germ. You, you, you ever felt both those forces at work? Like which one you listen to will determine the outcome. If you listen to condemnation, you'll have a wrong view of what God is like. And you will be chasing after like the, this unfulfilled, unending, it's like living on a treadmill. But if you follow the voice of conviction, it leads you into peace. Peace comes through repentance. Freedom comes through repentance. It's why I, I don't want to hesitate ever to talk about sin because sin immediately brings us to this conclusion that God's kindness leads us to repentance and repentance sets us free. You see, God's kindness, some people get it wrong. They're like, God is so loving that he has to forgive everyone. Like God's just this big, cuddly care bear in the sky, right? And, and, and the, the image on his tummy when he does, you know, the little, he's just, he just shoots forgiveness at everyone. He just can't help himself. It's his power. He's so loving and kind. He just throws forgiveness out at everyone. No, no, his kindness actually gives us one way out. The only way is through repentance. There isn't a second way. But that's the kindness of God. He's giving us one specific way out of the condemnation that we bring. Do you know what it says in John chapter 3? John chapter 3 and 16, like God so loved the world that he sent his only son. Whoever believes in him wouldn't perish but have life. The next verse says this, Jesus didn't come to condemn the world. The world's already condemned. Like, let's be honest. We all know how bad we are. Like, let's be truly, truly transparent and authentic today in the quietness of our own mind. We all know where, where our flaws are. We know because we do hard to make sure no one else sees them. We work hard to make sure people only see us at our best. We work hard to be seen at the right angle and in the right way. But we all know how flawed we are. If you don't know, ask your best friend, ask your spouse, ask your parent, ask your sibling. We all know our flaws. So Jesus didn't come to point out flaws. He came to, to point us towards freedom. Because he's loving, he's kind. Because he's kind, we have repentance. So many people miss out on ever being forgiven because they're not willing to repent. Like, well, if God was good, why can't he just take my sin away? He does through this way. He does. He gets to set the rules. He says, here's the way. In fact, 1 John 1, 9 says this. If we confess our sin, God is faithful and he forgives our sin. Like, that's pretty much the best news you could ever possibly have. God gave you a way out. He gave me a way out. I am not stuck in this prison called sin. I am not stuck in my own flaws. Because isn't it crazy? Like, if we, we begin to map out our life, we're like, here I am again. Ever been there? Like, here I am again. Same thing. Same issue. Same flaw. Manifesting in a different way, but the same insecurity. Right? A new addiction, but the same lack of connection that's, that's, that's drawn me to it. A new type of brokenness, but the same type of fear that led me into it. And here's Jesus in conviction coming and saying, I want to make a way out for you. I love this because David acknowledges his sin. That's the third reality is this. Because we repent, we're forgiven. Like we need to own it. We need to acknowledge it. We need to actually like, yep, that, that's true of me. Remember a couple of years ago, actually this weekend, two years ago on 
on Canada Day. I was driving up Granville Street, and it was a busy day. <clears throat> it was on a Sunday, and, and a taxi cab swerved into me, hit my car. Because the taxi swerved into me, moved my car over, and then I smacked mirrors with the person coming this way. So three cars now have brokenness and damage. Isn't it true that when one person makes a mistake, it often spreads? There's like this domino effect. One mistake leads to another mistake. And, and we got out of the car and, and, and I got the side of the vehicle busted up and broken mirror here. And I'm thinking to myself, like that could have been worse. But just because something could have been worse doesn't mean it's not bad. Are you with me? In life sometimes like, whoo, got away with it. Could have been worse. Just because it could have been worse doesn't mean it's not bad. Right? You're like, yeah, I mean, it, things got kind of crazy. But like, don't worry, I didn't commit grand larceny. Okay. But just because it didn't get that bad doesn't mean it's not bad, right? And I'm like, I could have died. I'm glad I didn't die, but I'm still going to bust it up vehicle. Like, it's still not ideal. We get out of the vehicle. Taxi driver comes up. He's like, wow. My bad. I'm like, yeah, man. Yeah. I'm like, I'm just trying to be, trying to play it cool. And he goes, yeah. So what do you say? Like, should we just call it 50-50? No, we shouldn't call it 50-50. I'm like, I'm driving in my lane. You hit into me. He's like, yeah, but then you hit into that guy by the looks of it. I'm like, I hit into him because you had me. Ah! No, we're not going to call it 50-50. He's like, okay, so is it my bad then? I'm like, you just said it was your bad. Isn't it crazy? Sometimes, like, if your apologies sound like that, you're not really apologizing. <laughs> It'll save your marriage. It'll save your relationship. If when you apologize, you don't say but, right? I'm sorry, but let me just explain. Just, just, just. Put a period on it, not a comma. I'm sorry. I was wrong. That's what David does. He's like, check it out. God, I sinned. I acknowledge it. I sinned, and I sinned not only against people, but you and you alone. Like, I have offended you. I've done wrong. It's repentance that leads us to forgiveness. It's not just God having like the fuzzy, wuzzy, rainbow, cotton candy love. No, repentance. He acknowledges it. And he moves on. No, it's crazy. The next day I got a call from the insurance company. They say, we heard from a certain taxi driver that you hit one another. He said it was 50-50. I said, no, it wasn't 50-50. And they said, well, your word against his. Ah! Got stuck with something that wasn't mine. But here's David. He's like fully acknowledging it. He's like, I'm not sharing this blame. It's not Bathsheba's fault that she was showering on top of her rooftop. It's not Uriah's fault that he wouldn't go. It's not, it's not, it's, it's me. I'm going to own this. I, I think a true humble person is like, I will own everything that's mine without taking on anything that's not mine. Like, that's what humility looks like. I want nothing more, nothing less. Like, I really want to draw the line here. I've sinned, and I'm going to acknowledge that. I'm not going to take on someone else's because that's for them to do. I'm not going to hold them in bitterness. or I'm just going to forgive. And then he says this, like, blot me, and I'll be whiter than snow. Whiter than snow. Think about this. He's completely convinced that he'll be completely new. Like he comes to God, understanding not only his flaw, but God's perfection. And, and he, he believes he'll be completely new. Whiter than snow. I don't know, but when I spill something on my shirt, my day's done. I wish I had better character than that, but I got to spill. I'm like, oh, done. Got to buy a new shirt. Got to burn this one. Spilled some coffee. We're, we're done. Bad day. Over. Time, anyone else like that? I, I'm amazed by people who have the composure to walk around with a stain on their shirt all day. Don't know how you do it. I'm like, my mind's just thinking about it. I'm like, eh, 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 ah, ah, stain on my shirt. 
I, I remember like last year a, a bird gave me a little gift. I was walking across the street. I'm like, you spiteful pigeon. And there was no part of me like, you know, I should just get a little Tide pin, you know? Dab. No, no, no. My, I'm, I need a new shirt. Like, I'm not, this shirt is done. We're through. We're over. I pretty much stripped it off in the middle of the street. I'm like, I'm not going to just cover it up and hide it. I need a new shirt. I went and bought myself a new shirt. See, here David, he goes this, my heart is flawed. So he says this, create in me a new heart, God, and renew a right spirit in me. Not only new, but renewed. Oh, I love that. Not only new, but being renewed. Not only new in that moment of repentance, but being renewed through the process of sanctification. You know, I'm telling you, there's some things that I recognize as flaws in my life today that I did not recognize as flaws 10 years ago. There's some things that, that, that are immaturities today that were not immaturities when I was nine. They were natural. But as you grow, you mature. Here, here, here David's saying this, like, don't only give me a new heart, but, but renew it in me. Like, keep me steadfast. I want to continue to be consistent with the person you've called me to be. Now, even if it just ended there, this is a great, a great story. God's love leads to kindness. God's kindness leads to repentance. Our repentance leads to forgiveness because love is who God is and what he does. Sin ultimately is who we are and what we do. David's like, even back like when I was born, I was born this way. But thank God that he gives us a new heart. And here's the, here's the fourth thing because it doesn't end there. Fourth thing is this, because I'm forgiven, I have purpose. Because I'm forgiven, I have call. Because I'm forgiven, I've got a mission You see what David said in verse 13? He's like, do this in my life, God. And then I'm gonna, I'm gonna testify of this. I'm gonna stand before other people who are broken and and point them towards the hope I've found. You see, I, I, I'm not living in simply this, this denial that I ever had sin. I think sometimes Christians can do that. Pretend everything is good all the time. You know, nice veneers. How you doing? I'm great. Bless God. Oh, I'm blessed and highly favored. Fantastic. And you're like, that is the most plastic, fake thing ever. Paul says this, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. The gospel is the power to save. I'm not ashamed to say that I once was dead, but now I'm alive. I'm not ashamed to say I was once living in darkness, but now walking in light. I'm not ashamed to say that I was broken, but God's put me back together. That's my message. Like, like your mess can become your message. The, 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 the stuff going on in your life. David, he goes, I'm not going to pretend away that I ever sinned. And isn't it crazy that 2,000 years later, here we are in the Vancouver Public Library, like, let's look at David's sin. David, like, he was pretty open with it. Pretty open with the fact that someone writing this scripture under his authority is like, can I tell the, the part about when you committed adultery? Yep, include it. It's part of my story. What about when you murdered? Yep, it's part of my story. But the best part of my story is not where I was at my lowest point is that God lifted me up out of it, is that God set me free and redeemed me, is that God brought me up out of that clay, up out of that grave, and he gave me life. So he says, God, touch my lips. I'm going to worship you. Touch my lips. I'm going to proclaim your goodness. You see, some of you here, some of us, in all things, we think at very best, if we could just work through our stuff, we could get back to ground zero. But the truth of the matter is God's not just trying to set you free from from your flaws, your faults, your mistakes. He's actually setting you up. Like you could put it this way, God has called you out so that he can send you out. 
He's called you out of a small life of cover-up so that he can send you out to a big life, a big life of proclamation, a big life of, of testimony. See, I'm not standing here today because I learned some stuff. I'm not standing here today because I can recite some, some scripture. I'm standing here today because I was broken and, and Jesus put me together. I was dead. He made me alive in Christ. You know, I heard this story when I was young. They left out words like adultery because I was young. It's like David was bad, but then God forgave him. <laughs> like, I wonder what David was bad in. But, but I, I have new and fresh and ongoing and pretty consistent revelation of the kindness of God because not only did he make me new, but he is still renewing me. Not only can I look back to my moment where I was saved, but I'm living proof that God continually is setting me free. Like the, the stuff that's held you back doesn't have to be your story. God's got bigger things for you. And David actually, his life becomes this testimony, this platform. You know what's interesting? Earlier this week, my daughter Gwyneth, she's nine years old. She came to me, hey dad, do you want me to spell the longest word in the English dictionary for you? I said, I would love that. Okay, P-N-U-E-M-A-S-T-F. It's 45 letters long. I took a little coffee break in the middle. I came back. She was still V O S I S Like, man, that's that's amazing, Gwen. I said, what does it mean? She said, I don't know. Do you want me to spell it again? Like, I'd love you. P N U E M. She's got it locked down. Doesn't know what it is. No satisfaction. Don't don't you think sometimes maybe that's the way we treat scripture? Would you like to hear some facts about God? He is good. Kind and loving and, but, but we don't know what it, like what it means. Don't have a revelation of what it means. See, David's not ashamed of his, like, journey because it ends with forgiveness. And a journey that ends with forgiveness is good. Like a journey of brokenness that ends in wholeness is not a bad story. A journey of, of fault and flaw and sin and mistake and injustice is not a bad story provided that it ends with, and then God, by his love, showed me kindness. And through his kindness extended repentance. And when I repented, oh, I was really set free. And he who the Son sets free is free indeed. David goes this, God, set me free. Get me out of this so that I can be a, a messenger to the people around me of your faithfulness your kindness, your goodness. I think for so many of us, we live so below our purpose in life because we're still trying to live in the cover-up. We're still trying to take a tide pin to that spill. You need a new heart. We're still trying to, to cover it up and, you know, Uriah, send a message and kill and do everything we can to, to get out from under it. We're like the taxi driver saying, should we call it 50-50? Like I'm a sinner, you're a sinner, we're all sinners. What are we going to do? No, live free. Live free. Come to Jesus and, and, and really live free. Not only new, but renewed. We hope that you enjoyed this edition of the Vivid Church podcast. For more information about Vivid Church, check out our website at www.vivid.church or look us up on Instagram at vivid.church. Have the best day.